Hello, dreamer. This full moon episode is a conversation I had in mid-September 2020 with Dr. Deirdre Barrett, a psychologist and dream researcher on the faculty of Harvard. We talked about the over 9,000 dreams related to the pandemic that she's collected in a research survey this year. This is going to be fascinating for all of you who are interested in how our dreams change in response to what's happening in our world and the trends and patterns in our dreams individually and on the larger shared scale. Dr. Barrett is especially interested in problem-solving dreams and dream incubation, where you set an intention before sleeping to dream a solution to something or dream an answer to a question. So stick around until the end when she gives instructions on how to incubate a dream. If you want, you can join me in incubating a problem-solving dream related to the pandemic and sharing it with Dr. Barrett. I told her I'd encourage you all to submit your incubated dreams in her survey, but she wants to hear them so much that you'll hear her say in our conversation, oh, give them my email address so I see those dreams right away. So I hope we can do this together and share what we dream in the Dreamers Den free Facebook group, and we'll share them with Dr. Barrett by email. Just before you listen to this conversation, you might be interested in a couple of things that are coming right up this month. If you get emails from me or you're in my free Facebook group or following me on Instagram, you may have answered when I asked, what would be more exciting to you for a free class in October? A, dreaming your genius, how your dreams reveal your role in global healing, or B, Three questions that reveal the health messages in your dreams, insights for you and everyone you help. The responses I got were almost exactly 50-50. So what I've decided to do is create a podcast episode for you about the unique genius in each person, very much inspired by Michael Mead's teaching on this subject, and how our dreams can help us see where our energy is most abundant and how we're most inspired to express our gifts. And I'll be offering the free class, Three Questions That Reveal the Health Messages in Your Dreams, Insights for You and Everyone You Help, on Friday, October 23rd. That will be live online through Zoom, and it will also be the kickoff for enrollment in my upcoming six-week course, Dreams for Healers, and the opening of the doors for new members in the Dreamer's Den. So to be notified as soon as you can sign up for the free class and to stay in touch with me about the Dreams for Healers course and membership in the Dreamer's Den, all you have to do is come to thedreamersden.org open. You can enter your email address there and I'll send you my free video about opening or deepening your relationship with your dreams and my free PDF mini book all about how the five elements are showing up in your dreams. And I will make sure to keep you posted on all of these opportunities. And I'll be so excited to hopefully see you in the free class and get going together on the course and the new round of membership. So again, that's thedreamersden.org open. And if you're listening to this after October 2020, you can still come to thedreamersden.org and see what exciting dream work is happening right now. All right, I'm sure you're looking forward to hearing from Deirdre Barrett, so let's get to it. You're listening to the Dreamer's Den podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm here along with guest dream workers, authors, and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams. We're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us, 
what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams, in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org slash open for a free video and mini book I put together to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. Deirdre Barrett is on the faculty of Harvard where she teaches courses on dreaming. She's past president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams and editor of their journal called Dreaming. She's written five books, including The Committee of Sleep and her most recent one, Pandemic Dreams. This latest book draws on a survey that she began as COVID-19 started sweeping around the world and people began sheltering in place and we started to hear more about increased dream recall and people having more vivid dreams. So when she published Pandemic Dreams earlier this year, she'd already collected over 9,000 dreams, and that survey continues. So I'm looking forward to hearing along with you some of what she's observed. Welcome, Deirdre. Thank you for talking with me today. Hi, nice to be here. My first question for you is about long ago, actually. We'll get to 2020, but I'm wondering how you first realized that dreams mattered to you. I was always interested in them as far back as I can remember. Um, I, I think like probably the majority of dream researchers say that they have more dream recall than average and more vivid dreams than average. So as a kid, I was just fascinated by this whole other world that I dropped into every night. And I think that a lot of psychologists go to grad school in psychology and then partway through they pick a specialty. But with me, it was really the reverse. It was like I wanted to do things with dreams from childhood. And, uh, and as I got a little older, I realized that if someone was going to pay me to just think and talk about dreams all the time, that I better major in psychology and go to graduate school in it. Uh-huh. Did you maintain your focus on dreams all the way through? Yes. Um, early on, I... I also did a fair bit of hypnosis research. Mm-hmm. And again, I can recall trying to hypnotize friends at fourth grade slumber parties. So even that was a kind of a longstanding interest, but, but it, it was one informed a little more by, by studying than, than dreams that were just so experiential. Um, and only maybe in the last decade, I've stopped actually doing hypnosis research. I still sometimes give talks on it, but, um, but it, it was just a little too hard to keep a toe in so many doors. But all the other things that I've done anything on are kind of imagery. Or I did two studies on early recollections kind of as a projective technique that the earliest thing you recall is kind of a microcosm of your worldview, um, you know, and looking at it as a, as a projective entity since there are innumerable things you can recall. And I've done some studies on daydreaming and then a fair bit on hypnosis, but none of them were very far from dreaming. Uh-huh. Yeah. All different varieties of our different conscious states in our imagination. And yes. Yeah. 
And so this year you've been doing some research by collecting pandemic dreams through this survey. How many dreams now are are in that survey, do you know? There were like 9,600 last I looked. Um, I was doing a lot to actively solicit them at the start of the pandemic. And there was a wave of publicity on both what people were dreaming about the pandemic, which is what my survey studies, and just the phenomena that people were recalling dreams. More during the pandemic, there was a huge wave of most of the major outlets doing something on that in April, and they would tend to link to my survey. So I, I got, it's a very irregular input of, of surveys. Also, I read every single dream until the start of June when I started writing that, that book. So I've read more than 8,000, but there wow. are now, you know, pushing 10,000 and I'm going to catch up. I definitely uh, want to do a, an expanded version of that book where I talk about the evolution of the types of dreams and follow that on through to when there's a vaccine and when things are getting somewhat back to normal, or at least we see how they're changed. Um, so, but it be, it was like became competing activities to read all the dreams and, yeah. and actually write the book about them. Wow. That's going to be really interesting as you track big changes, like the development of a vaccine and then coming back to some of the early dreams. Cause I know you shared some dreams in this first book about uh, what the source might be for the vaccine. I know one was uh, like a musical melody, so that one's probably not literally what we're going to get, but um, if there will be any ties between dreams you saw early in the pandemic and then um, solutions or treatments that come out later. Yeah, well, actually, just yesterday, I saw one that related to Andy, oh dear, I've got his last name in my book, but I'm not coming up with Andy S., um, who one of his dreams was featured in an animated film that time.com put oh, up yeah. on the uh-huh. website. I uh, that, yeah, I, I really like that film. Anyway, that dream is Andy's, but the other um, pandemic dream he'd had by that time was one about being in a supermarket doing his kind of stock up, you know, because the pandemic shopping back in March, uh, right, right at the start of things. And when he'd actually been doing that, he had a dream. And in the dream, he was in the grocery store with his dog. And he sort of had this like slightly pre-lucid thought that it was strange that he had his dog in the grocery store. And then he thought, oh, it's because it's pandemic times. You're allowed to bring your dog in the grocery store. And his dog, he was just trying to find everything and get out as fast as possible. But his dog would periodically grab onto his pants leg and pull him in one direction or another. And about the third time the dog did it, he um, said that he realized that the dog was able to smell who had COVID-19 infections and the dog was pulling him away from anyone that could be contagious. And he woke up and he remembered like 10 years before having read about cancer sniffing dogs. Um, So he, but he, it's not like he thought about cancer sniffing dogs in the mm-hmm. last 10 years. Um, but he had read one article on that long before. And so, so he kind of 
knew that was possible. But just, just yesterday, I saw an article on how I think it was the Finnish airports are going to have COVID sniffing dogs. I'd already wow. seen articles about how the same people that trained the cancer dogs were trying to train uh, for COVID. But there, there's one country, I'm almost sure it's Finland, whose airports are now going to have dogs which detect it more accurately than temperature or the quickie tests or any other kind of screening. That is incredible. When we don't have a lot of reliable ways to screen, that's pretty impressive that they've figured that out. I love that image in the dream too, because the the dog is a personal dog being protective. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a related to that screening of the public idea, but it's a very personal, you know, pulling the dog's person away from the threat, you know, and the dog as protector. Although in, as I recall, some of those articles on cancer sniffing dogs that they, the, the discoveries tended to start with exactly that. Like somebody's pet would be trying to bite at some dark mole that they hadn't even noticed, you know, Mm -hmm. as a new strange thing. And, you know, and they go into their doctor and it turns out to be melanoma. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that like pets trying to protect their owners from cancer are stories that have to do with how it got discovered, but they also tend to lead in the articles on that. So I bet whatever Andy read had one of those stories about, you know, the the pet rescuing the owner from cancer sort of before the researchers started doing this in a systematic way. Yeah. And another thing you mentioned in the book, you shared the, the dog sniffing, and I think someone dreamt of leeches and cat saliva. So interesting that there was this kind of animal and creature imagery along with the pattern you noticed of different bugs kind of representing the virus. Mm -hmm. Have you continued to see dreams of insects? And I think there was a tarantula, things like that. They haven't completely disappeared, but all of the categories that, that have to do with just I'm catching the virus as kind of the, the, the theme, they were most frequent at the very start Mm -hmm. when, um, and and I, w- I was mostly collecting in countries where it hadn't really hit where people really were yet, although I got some Italian dreams from early on when they were in their midst of, of their bad pandemic. But, um, but so, so that's true of the, the dreams of literally getting the virus. I'm spiking a fever. I must have COVID. I'm coughing. I must have COVID. I have blue stripes on my stomach. I know that's a sign of COVID. Uh-huh. Um, so, some are basically I'm getting the virus. And then there are these other metaphors that the dreamer identifies as, as being about COVID-19, uh, including the ones that I see after any crisis like tsunamis and hurricanes and wildfires coming at you tend to occur as metaphors for any crisis, but, and I was seeing those. But the bug attacks were quite unique to COVID-19, and they haven't disappeared, but along with all the ones where the main point is that the dreamer is catching the virus in the course of the dream, they were the most common at the start, and they've become somewhat less common. And 
as the pandemic has gone along, the middle period I saw the most about the lockdown. Um, people who were sheltering at home alone would dream about being thrown in prison, especially solitary confinement, or there were multiple alone in space. One woman was uh, told that she was had been chosen to be the first colony of one person to Mars, and she had not volunteered for this, but she couldn't say no to this, and she was sent off to Mars to live out her life. Um, but another person who often has positive traveling in space dreams had one that started like a space adventure, and then something went wrong with their ship, and they had to make an emergency landing on Saturn and they would be stranded on Saturn the rest of their life. So, mm -hmm. so people who were alone had these dramas that, that exaggerated the aloneness and people who were sheltering with roommates or family tended to have dreams that dramatized crowding or lack of privacy. Uh, the whole neighborhood's moved into my house. There's so many in the rooms that I can't walk through my own house. I'm trying to go to the bathroom and I can't shut the door because everybody's stuff is, is all through my house. Or dreams about other secondary effects, um, including money anxieties or homeschooling your children. One woman dreamed who was really homeschooling her 10 year old. She dreamed that the school sent her a message that they were sending her child's entire class to her condominium where she would have to homeschool the whole class for the rest of the pandemic. A, a parent's nightmare. Yeah, I was going to say that could have been a nightmare. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm sure it was a very, at least anxiety yeah. uh, laden, unpleasant, out of control dream for the woman as she dreamed it. But everybody laughs when they hear that you know, nervous, nervous laugh. Right. Like, like, well, we can relate. We can relate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something about dreams that makes us connect at a more emotional level. I mean, you know, if a mother says, oh God, it's so hard homeschooling. I've never been trained as a teacher and so many things are going wrong. You know, other, other parents doing the same thing and even just other adults listening will will have a certain sense of empathy with that. But I think telling that the school has messaged me that I, they're sending the whole class here for me to homeschool just, you know, gets at the feeling at a kind of deeper level because of the narrative drama that it, it you know, the way it depicts it. Absolutely. And likewise with saying, I don't, I feel like I don't have enough privacy anymore, as opposed to saying in my dream, I can't even close the door when I want to sit on the toilet because yes. there's so many yes. people and so much stuff, right? It's mm -hmm. yeah, totally. And similarly back to the bug attacks that you mentioned. Um, I think that's a very powerful metaphor. And that is one I'd never seen during any other crisis. Like I collected dreams after nine 11 and from Kuwaitis after the Iraqi occupation and you see most of those natural disaster, the tsunami hurricane dreams occasionally in most crises, but I'd never seen bug attacks. Uh -huh. And there were lots of them, especially early on, but they continue at least occasionally in the dreams coming in. And I think it's partly because we use the word bug as a slang term 
you know, when we say I'm coming down with a bug, you know, yeah. it means at least an infection and probably a virus. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that I think that lots and lots of tiny things that cumulatively could harm or kill you is really a very good metaphor for the, for the virus and how it functions. So, um, so I think for both those reasons, uh, bug attacks are, are very specific to the pandemic. Yeah, and I can feel this kind of flavor to it too, where they're they're small, and we don't necessarily see them, but then all of a sudden we can feel surrounded, and mm -hmm. they've they've infiltrated the house, which is so different than a tsunami in its enormity. Yeah, and I I I did see a, a handful of single bugs or several bugs. They were usually kind of large when you know and and dangerous and they may have been playing more like the just off the word bug there was the woman who dreamed that a tarantula crawled through the mail slot in her bedroom and parenthetically remarked she has no mail slot at all much less in her bedroom mm. and another woman there was a giant grasshopper with vampire fangs hmm. but the vast majority were these lots and lots of tiny, the focus was not on an individual bug, but on swarms of things flying at you or masses of wriggling worms coming towards you or armies of cockroaches racing at you. Um, so yeah. I think that's very virus particle-like. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the dreams you read from people who experienced 9-11 more directly and also Kuwaitis. And I know you've worked and researched dreams and trauma, sometimes very personal, violent trauma or other crises. So with these natural disasters that come up a lot in those dreams, I'm wondering, because I think a lot about the elements in terms of the traditional Chinese medicine system of symbols, and the quality of a tsunami, for example, as compared to a wildfire, in some ways they're opposites. And I'm curious whether you've noticed a trend in the type of big natural disaster that's shown up in recent dreams. Uh, well, that's, that's interesting what you say about, you know, whether you're talking about the, the Chinese system or whether you're just talking about metaphorically how they they have a lot in common as a natural disaster but mm -hmm. they they definitely something that can drown you versus burn you up some you know something that happens more slowly or or quickly um that, that's a very good question i've actually thought about it more in a couple of other ways uh-huh um, and I definitely have not done any sort of tight statistical looking to, these are impressionistic um, things. But one thing I noticed in this set was that to the extent I knew where people were, um, I only asked country, I didn't ask city or state, but people often parenthetically mention if, if it's at all relevant to the dream. and. I, I noticed that I got more tornado dreams from the Midwest and more hurricane dreams from the various coasts, especially the Gulf Coast people. Mm -hmm. And I did not see 
as many wildfires as I'd seen after 9-11. And I kind of put that down to a combination of immediate experience. It seemed to be the California people who had the wildfire dreams mm -hmm. this time. Um, but after 9-11, the buildings were burning. So I think that some other kind of fire is a much closer, you know, somewhat literal kind of metaphor mm -hmm. for, for something, setting something on fire. So, so I definitely have noticed that it seems like whatever natural disaster people grew up fearing is likelier to stand in. Yeah. But also one that just has a little more literal resemblance to the um, thing that's just happened is a little more likely to stand in. And so I'm sure there probably is some effect for the kind of metaphoric symbol, um, you know, type of disaster energy that something yeah. has related to the Chinese system. But I haven't paid as close attention to it, frankly. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting though already. Of course, it makes sense that people would have their kind of familiar example of a natural disaster from their own experience. And that would- Yeah. I mean, you know, there are people in Kansas who just, you know, huddle with tornado warnings and have seen one yeah. coming in the distance. And, you know, for the rest of us, Wizard of Oz is there. Right. Right, right. Well, thinking about Chinese medicine, when we think about getting sick with something that is being passed from person to person and that is spreading quickly, we think a lot about the symbol of wind. So it it piques my interest that hurricane and tornado are two of the images you mentioned because they are both windy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? And I'm also curious about the experience of people who have been ill this year because around the country, around the world, really, my Chinese medicine herbal colleagues have been helping people who are dealing with cough, fever, shortness of breath, fatigue, lingering symptoms like that, right? But although we think some about what the nature of the external pathogen might be, we think a lot about the function of the body that's been disrupted, what part of the body is impaired or damaged or needs support, and these kinds of things, like what our body is struggling to do, could show up symbolically in dreams in so many ways. And I, I don't know how many dreams you've gotten from people who were acutely ill, but I would be curious to know if there's a lot of imagery of downward motion or hinging action like on a door or dampness or dryness or heat or cold, some of these symbols that we use to understand what's going on in illness. That is such an interesting question um and it, it's making me i just have this huge rich data set and it's making me aware of how much more you know may be there that uh that i so far haven't been fully attending to in reading i'll get in a moment to a way in which i feel like i wasn't attending to the gender of the dreamers quite as much as i should even though i was noticing some things mm. about that but the way the survey is set up the page where i'm reading the dreams does not actually have nationality age gender any any of that and i if i'm curious about it there's a link i can click on and see that demographic for that person mm -hmm. but a lot of the time i'm just reading through the dreams and i don't get curious about every dream and 
and look at that. It's not being displayed next to it. Um, so I have, um, I have hundreds of dreams from one of my questions was about which of several categories you, you fit in, including being a healthcare provider, working at least partly with COVID patients or having had COVID yourself. Mm -hmm. But when I was pulling out and looking at those people, I was really much more focused on being interested in dreams that people had while they were acutely ill with it. And, and I didn't, I didn't ask. And, and my survey just asks for dreams you've had that you think are about COVID. Mm -hmm. So, um, so sometimes if they don't tell me the date they had COVID, I wouldn't know if this was before, during, or after. Mm -hmm. However, a significant group choose to tell me a dream that they very specifically say is when they were hospitalized with it, or they were at home, but running a fever of 104 with COVID, or, you know, they definitely tell me this is a, in the midst of my, of my COVID infection dream. So, so I pulled out those to look at, and they're a very distinctive group. Mm. But I unfortunately, with the rest of them, even though you've got me thinking, I want to go back and look at what people may tend to have well after the main COVID infection, mm -hmm. um, I don't have any questions about, are you still having lingering symptoms? And I can't in all cases even tell if they've submitted a dream from before or after the, yeah. the date they were sick. So there are so many things that my survey is not is not set up to do that's that's sort of in the data that the things to to tease it out carefully aren't but i certainly can pay more attention and some of them do tell me that this was before they got the COVID, or this was was three weeks after they'd recovered from COVID. Okay. so that's a very that's a very interesting question but yeah. the fever dreams i did pay a lot of attention to the people who were very very sick with it had the most bizarre dreams. Um, and they were mostly really terrifying dreams, but they didn't all have imagery that would seem obviously terrifying. One thing is that they just, um, they seemed to be in a hybrid state where they were kind of asleep, but kind of awake and maybe perceiving some real things, but definitely having REM-like bizarre um, dream experiences and hallucinating and and things like scene changes that in a normal dream we might be you know in a hospital one moment and then we're in our living room and we just go with that you know it doesn't scare us that we're suddenly in a different place that you know we just take that for granted um unless you get lucid and even then it doesn't scare you it tells you whoa i'm dreaming this um but but for the people having the fever dreams, they tend to keep their prefrontal area reality testing a little bit more. That area of the brain is a little more awake even while they're hallucinating. And so when they go from a hospital room to their living room to a hospital room again, they're terrified about what is going on with this. And they kind of know that at least one of these must be a hallucination, but they can't start out which one. 
And they're just as terrified as if wide awake we suddenly popped from one place to another. Mm. Um, so some of the imagery is not what you'd call inherently scary, but they're terrified because they're much more desperately trying to make sense of it in a way that we don't in most dreams. And then others are just really nightmarish. There was a man that dreamed that the hospital staff had removed his lungs and put in robot lungs instead. Mm -hmm. The robot lungs went into his usual chest cavity, but, but protruded way outside his body. And he was looking down at this sort of computer motherboard looking surface that was sticking out of him. And he perceived that he was having trouble breathing because the robot lungs were so, they were this heavy metal and they were, and they were pressing down on him. Mm -hmm. Um, and he didn't volunteer or perhaps even know in retrospect whether he was possibly on a respirator. Probably not. You're usually so sedated that you wouldn't tend to recall things or more likely just, just having trouble breathing from the illness itself. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I definitely like post post COVID dreams would be really interesting and I don't have all the right questions to do it best, but I will go back and look at that a little bit. Oh, I'd be fascinated to know. And I know you have some ways that you can statistically analyze too. So even if it were to look for keywords that might relate, like for, I'll just take the lungs, for example, in Chinese medicine, metal, maybe we should throw robot in there, metal, robot, air, down, sad, grief, white, you know, these, these key words that put us in the territory of, of the lung organ. And of course, there's many other systems of symbols too, but it would be fascinating to see from the people who are either were acutely ill during the dream or were recovering, you know, if they were getting a tendency toward one type of imagery or, or a few. You know, if you wanted to uh, create the word list, for me. Oh, I'd be um, delighted to. Yeah. I just talked so about Chinese medicine. I'm going to do a sloppy job on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I could, uh, I could run that through the data. That would be. Can you tell us a little bit about how you do that kind of data analysis? It's so interesting to think about how to do data analysis with dreams. How do you approach that? I, I did some word search things that were not they were not part of any formal analysis, but like I'd been reading the dreams for quite a while and noticing the insects. And after a while, I decided I wanted to know how many insect dreams there had been and the counts on different kinds of bugs. So the survey is very word searchable. So I did some of that informal, like, you know, the search was informed by basically what I'd already read in the in the data, but just to, to get a sort of tighter feel for it. I did that when I was writing the book, but I also, um, uh, after the book came out, I did a more formal research analysis with statistics uh, that's coming out any day in the September issue of the journal Dreaming. Uh, it's part of a special section that actually has four articles on COVID-19 dreams. And I did, I, I approached that very differently. I mean, the book was a 
close read of the dreams with a very qualitative sort of characterization of what I was seeing in terms of what the categories were and in terms of their evolution over time. And again, I did do a little bit of kind of searching after I'd figured out some of those things to confirm what what my informal count was. But, but it was pretty impressionistic. And I think that you get at kind of deeper, richer aspects of the dreams that way. But I think that you can, first of all, just kind of miscount if some dreams are more dramatic or make a bigger impression on you. Um, you know, I don't always trust my, you know, it to be all that exact first of all. And secondly, I think you can just miss things that, um, that, that are there that are not the ones that you first noticed and that you started tracking. So when I did the, um, the formal analysis, I used the Linguistic Inquiry and Word Count Program, which is a text analysis which was originally developed for looking at literary works, you know, passing it through novels and characterizing what's different in different authors' bodies of work. Um, but it's several of us have done studies using it on dreams. And, um, and in one where I, I just correlated the results of it with some of the Standard Hall and Van de Castle scales, the, the important scales relevant to dreams in it correlate pretty well with their Holland Van de Castle equivalent, even though they're arrived at somewhat differently. So I took all the categories of emotions and I was predicting, not very novelly, that positive emotions would be down in this set compared to normative. Bill Dumhoff has great normative dreams up on his site, large numbers of dreams collected at more normal times. So I used, I used those for comparison. Um, and, and so I predicted that these would be lower on positive emotions, um, higher on negative emotions, especially anxiety, but it has scales for, for sadness and anger also that it would be higher on a scale that the LIWC calls health, but that's basically ill health. It's all almost all illness words. Um, and then there's a reference to body parts. Um, so, so just some kind of continuity hypothesis, you know, predictions about what there would be more of in these, in these dreams. And and when I did that analysis, I mean, you always separate men and women's results because they, they do differ um, often. Mm -hmm. But I found that the most interesting result. And I, I had not articulated hypotheses about how men and women would differ. So I really was ahead of time more thinking this would just very firmly establish some of the kind of less interesting aspects of what I'd already seen in reading the dreams. But what I found was that uh, while everything was in my predicted direction, a few of the things were insignificant for men while dramatic for women. And mm. then even the things that were very significant for men were even more extreme effects for the women. Um, and 
women's dreams were just more changed from the norms, but specifically they, they had even more anxiety than men, but both were up in similar ways compared to normative dreams. But the, the men's were barely higher on sadness and anger, but it didn't even reach statistical significance, whereas it was a very dramatic, extremely significant effect for the women that there was more sadness and anger. Mm -hmm. um, and the men's overall negative hit significance only because their anxiety was, was so far up. So, oh, death is a category I didn't mention. Death was one of the ones I picked out as predicting it would be up. And it was extremely up, like fourfold, usual for men and women. Oh, wow. Um, but then illness was more up yet for women, even though it was quite significantly up for men. And the body references were not significant for men, and they were quite significantly elevated for women. So it just looked like the dreams had affected men in terms of more, more anxiety, more thinking about illness and more fear of death. And it had impacted the women in lots of kind of negative ways and body focused ways. And, and what I had noticed when I was doing my close read was it had really jumped out at me that almost all the dreams about difficulties of homeschooling were coming from women. Mm -hmm not just the one I mentioned about the woman who's going to have to homeschool the whole class, but just all kinds of variations. There was a, there was a woman who in her dream, the way you did the homeschooling was you took all your child's exams and you were graded uh -huh. on how you were doing. And she was flunking all the math exams. And so her child was going to have very poor grades for, for a whole year or semester or whatever, because she couldn't pass the math exams. Uh -huh. um, so there were just all, all these things that, that go wrong with the, the homeschooling in a kind of a dream drama way. Yeah. Um, and, and they were just all coming from women. Uh, and th that jumped out at me, but it also didn't surprise me. Um, but I really mm -hmm. didn't fully notice how many of the sad dreams and the angry dreams and, um, and the kind of other weird, unpleasant things are going on with my body, some of them sexual that, that you know, are vaguely metaphoric for the COVID-19, but, but obviously have some other issues intertwined. I really didn't notice kind of the variety of kind of negative effects compared to the norms that I was getting for the women. Mm. And it was only after I did that analysis on the the dreams that I went and read some scholarly academic research on how the pandemic is affecting men and women differently. And, you know, I'd certainly heard the suggestions that, you know, because women are more of the healthcare providers, but especially they're more of the low ranking healthcare providers who have more trouble accessing good protective equipment that, you know, they're likelier to get infected and that more than half the infected healthcare workers have certainly been female. Mm. I knew that. I certainly know that women do more of the nursing people at home. Uh, but I actually totally did not know that a whopping proportion, uh, way over half of the people who've lost their jobs because of the pandemic directly 
are female, mm -hmm. um, both in the US and that's even more pronounced in some other countries. And just almost, almost every way things have changed for the bad that has hit women more than men. And I, I didn't ask race in my survey. I'm very sure that if I had um, minorities versus majorities, that, that I, would, I would see some effects that just whoever was sort of already in the worst position, you know, is, is the one most damaged by any kind of natural disaster. I didn't ask, I didn't ask race because I was doing this international survey. And so yeah. to do racial analyses when I'm trying to, you know, collect dreams from Africa as well as the US kind of wouldn't, you know, it would really be a mixture. So I was comparing nationalities and not not races. But again, there's there's so much I have in that data, but there's so much I don't have in a simple survey. And everything about a person's life is being interconnected with what you're studying there. So yeah. You have to pick and choose what you're going to ask people and track. Mm -hmm. That makes sense that any way that you did sort it, though, people who've had past traumas or if there's entire groups of people that tend to experience more of a sense of vulnerability in the grand scheme of things, like in their social order, wherever they live, mm -hmm. you know, that, that the vulnerability brought up by the virus statistically might touch people who already feel more vulnerable in a different way. Yes, definitely. But I think, I think that more things like being abruptly laid off from your job and being the one nursing someone who's very sick at home, I, I think that goes a long way toward explaining why women have more of the sad and angry dreams. Yeah, that makes sense. And that the, the things that are affecting men similarly are more in the fear direction. Uh, and again, their anxiety was not quite as extreme, but, but certainly up similarly to the women's. And it did, it did stir up their death references just as much as the women's. Words about dead people and death are fairly uncommon in dreams, and they were not uncommon in this sample. But although an awful lot of the dreams referencing death were scary. I might die. Somebody I love is dying in the dream. Uh, I'm at a party and their corpses sitting around on the couch. Um, you know, the kind of, uh, and, and there were zombie, zombie dreams and in the data in fairly large numbers. Um, but there were also dreams about deceased loved ones visiting the dreamer and sometimes mm. they were mostly positive or they'd be positive in the dream but but the the sort of waking implication was a little bit spooky one woman dreamed that her mother and aunt who were both deceased in reality showed up at her art studio and told her it was time for her to come with them and she was really happy to see them and and you know willingly about to go off with them uh and it was only awake that 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 seemed like a, a slightly spooky dream another woman knew it was the pandemic but she was invited to a family reunion picnic and she decided because it was outside it was okay to go 
And when she showed up, she was the only currently living relative and it was all her deceased relatives who were having this picnic. And again, she was like oh, wow. thrilled with this in the dream, but, but woke up and was kind of, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> so, um, mm. but, but a few were just flat out, they were just dreaming about a dead loved one and aware that the person was, was dead in the dream. It wasn't kind of just about that person, but it was about their death in a way that, that you might see more as, kind of Kubler-Ross, you know, accepting, um, you know, all, all the dead people dreams were not necessarily scary. Uh-huh. Oh, and not all the pandemic dreams were bad. I have been talking as if everything, but a few beloved dead people ones were, but there were a very small proportion of really positive, happy dreams. And I guess the one category we've touched on are the ones that dream a cure for the pandemic. Those tended to be positive um, mastery sort of sense in the dream. And then there were dreams about the kind of distant future, like the pandemics all over and society has changed and although the majority even of those futuristic ones were kind of apocalyptic you know like the film mad max they're relatively few survivors and they're all fighting with each other was a pretty common one but there there were yeah all types of utopian dreams um in small numbers but like people who didn't like technology would dream that that it was it was the future and the pandemic was over and the pandemic had kind of wiped out our reliance on technology and everybody was farming their own food and um, and there was no pollution and people had gone back. And in some of them, that this was partly because there was a greatly reduced population, but the emphasis was on people had gone back to some natural style of, of living that the pandemic had ushered in that was really good because technology was kind of lessened, if not gone. And, and then the, the people who loved technology there were there were dreams about you know how science had overcome the pandemic and you know and we now had had this perfect vaccine that cured not only covid but everything else and 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 they were in this kind of sci-fi futuristic looking wonderful perfected by science world and there was there was one where robots were running everything, so we didn't have any wars anymore because because humans were not allowed to do that. Um, and this was clearly positive, not a not a utopia. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then one, one of the ones that just cracked me up was um, clearly it was for this woman a utopia, but she dreamed that she was watching television. And Bernie Sanders was on television. This is an American dreamer, of course. Bernie Sanders was on the TV and he was the new president. He'd been elected president because Trump and Biden had both died of COVID-19. This was his first address to the nation. 
and he was telling people that they should all grow marijuana in their backyard, but only up to five plants. And he wanted everybody to sell a little bit of marijuana. Uh, it didn't explain how if everyone was growing it, they would have customers. Um, so <laughs> everyone could sell a little, grow a little marijuana, sell a little marijuana, and this was gonna jumpstart the economy successfully. Well, par- paradigm shift dream. Yes. And clearly this was, clearly this was good, happy, you know, the, the way her wish-fulfilling mind had gotten Bernie to be president. So, so there were these utopias, but, but there were so many more anxiety dreams, even of those future dreams. Well, I'd like to get more of your reflections on this phenomena, though, of kind of the mastery dreams and the solution dreams. You know, it, it seems like they're the minority, but I've also, you know, there's research and been studies, and I think you've done some work around this where people actively incubate or have a therapist's help in incubating mastery and solution dreams. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've both done that in clinical practice, usually having people incubate a dream about, you know, how they might get along better with their spouse than any of the conscious strategies that they've come up with or, you know, something, something personal. Um, or about where some kind of weird, inexplicable conversion symptom is coming from. Maybe they'll have a dream that tells them what that's about. But I've also done research where college students were working on their homework problems or other objective problems. And, and I've done sort of interview type research with professionals about how often they've had a dream that solved any major professional problem. Um, so yeah, I think dream incubation can be very useful in increasing the rate of problem solving dreams, but also there, I mean, especially when I'm interviewing the scientists and writers and things, I mean, a lot of the stories of the very best breakthrough dreams just happen spontaneously. Yeah. And some of them happen to someone where the story kind of starts, you know, I'd never paid much attention to my dreams until one time I was stuck on this problem and, yeah. uh, and they'll tell a spectacular dream. Um, so certainly not all problem solving dreams are incubated, but it increases the rate. But I, I have to say that being so interested in problem solving dreams that I was, um, a little disappointed at how few I saw in a group of 9,000 pandemic. Uh Um, there, there were some. Um, I mean, I would, um, I would count the one of the dog that the owner figured out was able to sniff COVID and pull him away, even though that guy was not working on COVID cures and did not, as far as I know, pass that along as a suggestion. It was still, you know, he was concerned with COVID. He'd once 10 years ago and not thought about it since read this article on dog sniffing cancer. That That's kind of how the problem solving dreams work. Um, yeah. And, and so there were a few kind of, um, you know, fairly minor, none of them were directly turning into something that, that didn't turn into the dogs in Finland because of Andy's dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think Andy's dream is cool. Yeah. Uh, but, but then also there were, there were some 
personal ones. And again, they're not as many or as dramatic as some of the ones I've collected about other things or seen in the incubation studies I've done, but, but they, they definitely happen some. Well, if we, can, if we can increase the rate with some incubation, would you mind sharing before we, before we have to wrap this up? Would you mind sharing with all the listeners how to incubate a dream, maybe how to incubate and then receive it the next day? what your practice is for that? Uh, yes. The, the, and the practice for like just trying to come up with a solution to some personal problem that you're having or, you know, or if you're a chemist who's stuck on a chemistry problem, they're not really that different. The basic, the basic principles are that you want to condense your problem down or it doesn't even exactly have to be a problem sometimes phrasing it as a question um Mm -hmm. you want an answer about something or these even apply if you're like just trying to target your dreaming to dream about a particular person or place or topic without necessarily it being a problem that has a solution that you that you focus down to a a phrase or at most a sentence that kind of embodies the question or the problem or the topic you would like your dream to focus on. And you repeat that to yourself as you're falling asleep. And then you also find a visual image that embodies your question or problem or or topic. And if you're a reasonable visual imager, you just hold that picture in your mind's eye. But if you are really one of those people who's not very able to sort of see anything in your imagination while you're awake, you might want to find some photograph or maybe more elaborate objects or objects to put on your night table that represent the problem or question to you. Um, So that if you're not imaging it, even after the lights are out, that you stare at this actual real world visual image as the last thing you see as you fall asleep because their dreams are so visual that that phrasing the question or problem as a visual image helps it get through to your dreaming mind and then you just fall asleep saying tonight i want to dream about x tonight i want to dream about x and and then in the morning you want to you know long ago i used to tell people have a pad and pin by the bed but now it can be that but it can be a smartphone with voice activation but you want something where you can record your dreams in some way that's gotten easier Um, Mm -hmm. and and you want to lie still and if you're if the dream is very clear there you can start recording um, I kind of like the voice activated recorders because you don't have to do as much moving and stuff as mm-hmm. write it down, but, but do what's your preferred method. Um, but if you're not recalling a dream immediately, still stay still in bed and try to just see if you woke up with anything on your mind, like if you're feeling sad or you're kind of thinking about your brother, because dreams are so evanescently just in short-term memory that sometimes if you stay with a feeling or just a a tiny bit of content 
a dream will come rushing back then. Like, oh yeah, I was sad because I dreamed that this thing happened to my brother and, uh, you know, and the dream will pop back then. And it's, if you jump up and turn your attention to anything else, even briefly, it's way likelier to ever get recalled if it, if it wasn't in clear conscious memory. Once in a while, seeing something later in the day that matches a dream image very, very specifically will trigger this sort of deja vu that turns into a recalled dream. But most of our dreams are going to be recalled then or not at all. So, so what you do when you first wake up in the morning and paying attention to them is just as important as the bedtime incubation. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks for describing that. And if anyone listening tries this and incubates a solution related to the pandemic, I'll link to your survey too in the show notes and maybe they can share it with you. Yeah, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to hear about that. In fact, give, give them my email um, so that it will come to my attention immediately rather than, you know, when I'm doing one of these catch-up reads through the service. Okay. Okay, great. We'll do that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I like all problem-solving dreams, but right now I am especially interested in problem-solving dreams about the, the pandemic. Okay. Well, well, I'll make sure people know how to reach you so they can be be clear about uh, this incubation. And I also want to link to an article of yours that I read in American Scientist, I believe, about problem-solving dreams in general. It has the story of the British prisoners of war dreaming about their, their escape. Yes. For anyone who's curious about this kind of chem- chemistry discoveries and other cool solutions and puzzles solving and medical uh, epiphanies coming through dreams. I thought that was a great summary of a lot of those. Um, and link to my website. There's a lot of information about all kinds of things there. Okay, I will do that. Do you want to say your website address out loud too? Um, it's www.deirdrebarrett.com, but you have to spell Deirdre, D-E-I-R-D-R-E. And it has separate sections for my academic research, my books for the general public, and then my dream art, which we didn't even talk about. But if you want to see my dream art, it is there. Great. Yes, I definitely want people to get to see your dream art. There's so much we didn't talk about, but it was a lot of fun. Thank you for everything you did cover. Well, some other time we can continue this with the formal sound studio. <laughs> that one. Yes. Okay. When you're when you're back on the campus. I'd love to talk with you again. Okay, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to come to the show notes for this episode at thedreamersden.org slash 14, where you'll find links to Deirdre Barrett's website, her survey, and of course, her email address, so you can share your incubated dreams. I'd also love to hear your incubated dream in the Dreamers Den free Facebook group, so if you're not a member yet, there will be a link to that as well. I'll be back with your next episode on the new moon. Until then, wishing you deep dreams.